something. And to be, can I just start with this? This is not necessarily part of the preach, but we went with our little girls to the gathering yesterday. And let me tell you, when you have children coming to church is really difficult. I know that corner over there, they can say amen to it. It is, um, it's, it's quite difficult. And so I, to be very honest, I listened to about a full minute of Andrew's sermon. So I had no clue what he preached about. Um, but I still wanted to, to be there. I still wanted to, to be with the saints. And it was still an encouraging time, even though my wife and I have no clue what he preached about. It was still just good being with the saints, being with the people of God. Um, why am I saying this? I'm, even, I'm just starting and I'll, I'm already confused. Um, oh, anyway, so point is, um, yes. <laughs> so Andrew spoke about uh, church and the way we do church. And I did not know that that was what he was going to speak about. But point is, I think it will tie in well with, um, with Andrew's message as well. And it's something that I had on my heart to speak about. So, so that's cool. But firstly, I'm going to read you a scripture quickly and uh, say this. I just want to tell you a story. So when I was at school, Actually, before I got saved, uh, my, when I got saved, it's really interesting how God changed every aspect of my life. I look back and I'm like, that is really strange and interesting, actually. But as I got saved, my uh, grades actually started improving and my handwriting completely changed, which is not the case for everyone. But I think I was just more intentional in my life and I wanted to put an effort. Before that, I was barely, uh, barely I need to pray, God, please. <laughs> Just as we come, Lord, now, I pray that you would give me the words, that you would speak. Oh, I actually really want to pray. Lord, uh, just bring this time before you, Lord. And I pray that as we gather as a church, Lord, that you would teach us your ways uh, so that we can do it your way and grow in the ways that you want us to grow, Lord. Um, I pray that you would speak into our hearts and that this would be a gathering of saints that pleases you, that puts a smile on your face and that moves forward in the kingdom of God because of the work that you do. Amen. <clears throat> I needed that. So, yeah, before that, before I got saved, I was basically uh, just passing. I did okay, but it wasn't like I really studied. I never did homework. I wasn't too interested in school. I was only interested in parties and being with my friends. That was what my life revolved around. And when I got saved, I think I just wanted to be more intentional with everything in my life. And so handwriting changed. My grades went up. But um, I never let, lost my sense of humor, which I think is a good thing. You can be a Christian and still laugh. It's okay. So one of the things that I kept on doing, now being a Christian, I thought I need to introduce some Christian jokes into my life. And every time I wrote an exam, at the end of the exam paper, right at the end, especially if I couldn't finish everything, I would write 2 John 1 verse 12. I would write it on all my exam papers and everything that I ended in. And I would just always wait for whether the teacher would go and read it and just see what they had to say. And so this is what 2 John 1 verse 12 says. Though I have much more to write to you, <laughs> I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> So needless to say, some teachers did not find that funny at all, <laughs> especially if I did not know the answer. I would write it everywhere where I didn't know the answer as well. So, so I'd be like, I can tell you, but in person, it's just better. <laughs> but you know, there is something of a truth actually to this scripture because what's, what John was saying here is there's a lot that I want to say. There's a lot that I want to write to you, but actually it's better to be there in person because if I look you in the face, if I look you in the eye, actually when he goes on, 
he, sp- he speaks, I'm going to read other scriptures later. He said, so that I can change the intonation of my voice even. Because there are some things that we just can't see and can't find and can't feel in technology that we can feel when we get together. It's actually, that's why God created church the way that he has. And I think that's why virtual church and church online is not really church. It's never what God destined it to be. God actually meant it to be in person together with people that know you, people that know your strengths and your weaknesses. They see your zits and they see the pretty side of you. They see everything, warts and all. We come together. There's something of a being together that's important. And that's actually why with the gathering, why we would go, even if we don't take much in, because I know the value of gathering and the gathering of God's people. And so Henry mentioned the scripture, and it's a popular one. We quote it so much, where the writer of Hebrews, I, maybe it was Paul, I'm not sure. Some people say it was Paul and, um, and Abraham together that wrote it. I have no clue. But someone wrote it. The uh, Apollos, maybe Apollos, you never know. But the writer of Hebrews, he encourages the people of God and he says, do not neglect the gathering of the saints. Now, we have to stop and ask the question, why would this be such an emphasis? Why would, why would uh, the writer of Hebrews make that such a big thing? Because if he made it such a big thing, then, then we need to live it out. We need to know that it's much better for us to be together in person. So what I'd want to do today um, is it's a little bit of a different preach. There's actually 13 points to it, which is a lot. So, but it's fine. I've still got an hour and a half left, right? <laughs> and that's just a joke. <laughs> There's 13 points to it, but the reason there are 13 is what I'd like to do is I want to I wanna give us a glimpse of what the early church looked like when they got together in the book of Acts. And so... If you open up the book of Acts and you had to ask the author, which is Luke, it's the same guy who wrote Luke, he was a doctor, we call him Dr. Luke. If you had to sit down with Dr. Luke and say, doctor, what, he was really, he was a physician, he was a doctor, what, what was it like when the early church came together? Because if, if he could tell us that, if we could get a glimpse, then those are the things that we should aim for, right? Those are the things that we would want to see when we get together, that we want to give ourselves to, that we want to tweak if we're not seeing it. And those things would encourage us to make sure that we get together in person as much as we possibly can. So if you read through the book of Acts, I think there was much more than that. But there are 15 specific instances where we see the church gathered. Mostly it's the church, the saints, every individual. But there are a couple of these instances where it's also only the leaders coming together. And out of those 15, three of them are grouped together. So that's why I just got to 13 because I've put three of them together. But I want to look at the 13 instances, actually, in the book of Acts, where the church came together and see what we can learn from them. Are you ready? <laughs> okay. It's, it's an interesting thing to do. I've never done this. But actually went through the book of Acts and see where does the church actually gather and what can we learn? Because it's not only Acts 2, 42 to 47, which we read about so much in, um, in Josh 10. So the first time the church gathers is actually before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. If you're taking notes and you want to write down, I'll give you the scripture references. The first gathering is in Acts 1, verse 1 to 11. And this is a really interesting thing. It's before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's before, in a sense, the church was birthed and started growing. It was still just a group of 120 people that got together. And actually, this first time, it was a gathering of, seems like it was 40 days of the church coming together and being taught by Jesus himself. I mean, that's insane. After his resurrection, it's after he died, went to the grave, and was resurrected. Let's read together in Acts 1, verse 3 to 4. 
Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. You imagine that, the resurrected Jesus coming to you and teaching you about the kingdom of God. And you know what's cool? If you read a bit further, it said Jesus ate with them, even in his resurrected form, meaning there's going to be food in heaven. Can I get an amen? <laughs> I mean, if Jesus ate, even, even in his resurrected state, then there must be food. And other instances, we see the angels eating. So, I mean, and it's all the vegans, sorry, but they ate fish as well. So, they, um, yeah, they, there's going to be food in heaven. And, while, and we're going to eat with God. That must be amazing. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, speaking especially of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to just stop with each of these and see what can we actually what can we learn from these instances? And I want to say that Jesus was looking forward to the birth of the church. And the, the church, who was not calling themselves the church at that stage, were already coming together for these 40 days and being taught by Jesus. And Jesus specifically, the Bible says, he taught them about, one, the kingdom of God. But he also taught them, two, about the promise of the Holy Spirit that would be with them. And the promise of the Holy Spirit here specifically was Jesus saying, it is better that I go because when I go, I will send my helper, the Holy Spirit, to be with you. Jesus was teaching in the first church meeting after his resurrection, the value of the Holy Spirit, being with you and walking with the Holy Spirit. And that's a lesson that church leaders need to learn definitely. We need to be led by the Holy Spirit, not led by programs, not led by vision, not led by numbers. We need to be led by the Holy Spirit and ask God, what is it that you want to do? How is it that you want to build? Where do you want to emphasize in your church? That is the way that we're supposed to be. But actually, for every saint in the life of the church, we are supposed to be a people that are led by the Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus was trying to impart in them. He said to them, I know it was good while I was with you, but it's going to be even better. Imagine that. I would have loved to walk with Jesus on the earth. I would have felt like that is the biggest privilege. And Jesus said in his own words, yes, that's good, but there's something even better. Do we really believe that? Do we believe there's something better than walking with Jesus on the earth? Well, he said it. He said walking with the Holy Spirit is even better. So when we come together, we should be a spiritual people. We should be a people that hear the voice of God, that feel the leading of the Holy Spirit, that give ourselves to him, that are not naturally minded, but that are those who, are, who seek him, seek his will and seek his voice. Okay, so that's the first thing. And actually, I want to say to you in Acts, uh, uh, let, me, let me tell you this quickly. When I got saved, I remember receiving this teaching of the Holy Spirit because, you know, I always knew about God the Father. He was the angry one in the Old Testament, and Jesus is the friendly one in the New Testament, right? <laughs> that's how we were taught. It's not the truth, but that's how we were taught. And you would never hear about the Holy Spirit. You never hear. And when you heard about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit was a thing, not a person. He wasn't a person that would come close to you. It was just a thing. And in the church that I actually went to after I got saved, the Holy Spirit would come once a year at Pentecost. <laughs> it's like he was free to do whatever you want, but just for those, those few days, the Holy Spirit could come. Other, other times he wasn't as welcome. And I remember the guy who led us to the Lord. He spoke to us about the Holy Spirit, and he prayed for us that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit, be baptized with the Holy Spirit which is really important after you've come to the Lord, after you've been baptized in water, you also need to have an experience of being prayed for for the Holy Spirit. 
And I remember him lining all of us up and starting to pray for us. And I've told this story before. And we'd pray for the first person, poof, they would fall over. And I thought, oh, now this is cool. I, I actually thought it was cool. Prayed for the next person, fall over. Prayed for the next person, fall over. Poof, fall over. Came to me. Nothing. Pray for the next person. Poof, fall over. Fall over. Everyone's flat on the back. To such an extent that I went to one of the pastoral counselors afterwards saying, I don't understand what's wrong with me and with my faith. <laughs> and he said, I think that a shame, he was just really trying. He said, if everyone fell, who would be there if there was an emergency? Who would be, st- <laughs> who would be standing? That was his advice to me. <laughs> what if a fire broke out or something? But you know, there is something in the church when we come together. How, do we, how much do we emphasize this? Okay, you saved, but do you walk with the Holy Spirit? Have we prayed for you for the infilling of the Holy Spirit so that you would flow in the gifts of the Spirit as well? That you would speak in tongues, maybe. It's not necessarily for everyone, but we all can try because Paul said, I'd love all of you to pray in tongues. Have you prophesied? Have you had a word of knowledge that we walk in these things, that there are evidences of the Holy Spirit with us? And that is, yes, praying, but also Acts 2.38 said, you will, uh, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, when you repent, when you are baptized in water, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So yes, there is a special infilling when we pray and we experience Him in His power, but every saved Christian, I believe, can walk with the Holy Spirit. And I want to ask you, where you're sitting, have you forgotten about Him? Is it all intellectual? You read about the Father in the Old Testament, Jesus in the New. But what about walking with the Holy Spirit? When last have you seen a miracle? When last have you heard Him speaking into your heart? When last have you eagerly desired to walk in the spiritual gifts? When, when did you stop knocking on God's door saying, please, I want to walk in the gifts of the Spirit? Because we need them. That is how the church will be built up. Second one, Acts 1 verse 12 to 26. The church gathers again. They come together again before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and this time it is to elect a new apostle. They had one apostle, you know, in leadership teams, um, Andrew always says this, uh, even Jesus lost one, because Judas was the one that betrayed him. And same in church, you will sometimes even have leaders that go rogue. Can I say that is why, uh, there's going to be, this is a different message, there's going to be a lot of bullet, you need to take out something to write down whatever God speaks into your heart, because it's not going to be a systematic three-point sermon. There's going to be lots of nuggets, and I believe that God will speak to you through some of the nuggets. But I think this is important. They were electing a new leader, but you know, if, if, if someone's faith was built on Judas, and Judas wasn't a bad guy all the time. He was an apostle of the Lord Jesus. He was chosen by God. He was chosen by Jesus. He was someone looked up to by people. If you were one of the 12 that would walk with Jesus and thousands would come, there was some reverence that came to you. We can't build our faith on our leaders because leaders will fall. Leaders will fall. Hey, and I'm trusting, man, we, and, and we're not above falling. I think it's so beautiful what Murnay did here. It's something you don't find in churches often, leaders being open, being transparent, saying these are the areas of sin in my life. But let me tell you, when you're a leader, there is a temptation on you to hide away the sin that is in your life. And when you keep things in the dark, that is where the devil plays. And I think there are so many leaders in this country where the Bible says, strike the shepherd and the sheep, the sheep go astray, the sheep scatter. And the devil knows that the devil is after leaders, right? He's really after leaders. 
And so we need to be praying for our leaders. And if you're in a leadership position, you need to be saying, God, please keep me. Lead me far from temptation. I want to stay faithful to you. I mean, there's churches in Stellenbosch at the moment, a church that's really going through severe leadership issues. It could scatter an entire church. But we are supposed to be a people that say, I build my faith on Jesus. It's not what I was wanting to say, actually. So they come together and they need to elect a new apostle. And um, let me read for you Acts 1 verse 14 firstly. Just to show you how the church gathered, because this is a beautiful lesson that we can learn here. It says, all these with one accord. What was the first car in the Bible? It was a Honda Accord, right? <laughs> I said a bad joke. <laughs> Thank you. Because they were all in one accord. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, all right. <laughs> all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. The women don't always get mentioned. The fact that they get mentioned is a special emphasis on the unity of the fact that everyone was together. The church came together in unity. You know, it's when there's unity that God commands a blessing. When we come together and we all have our eyes to Jesus, we're all listening to the same thing. We all want to follow God with everything that is in us. We all want to sort out the offenses between one another so that we can run fully. Same vision. It's when that happens that God blesses that we come together in unity. And that is the picture of this early church that we had. And right after this, we'll see the Holy Spirit being poured out because there was unity. Listen, if we want to see a move of God in this church, like they did, we need to make sure that our hearts are in unity. And let me ask you, are you with us? Are you with us? Have you given your heart to the leaders here? doesn't mean we're perfect. I just said that. But have you given your heart? Are you here, not because it's nice, not because your friends are here, but because you want to serve Jesus, you want to lay down your life, you're willing to sacrifice anything because you want to follow him and his purposes. Because if we do that, if we really give ourselves fully, if we don't have people on the periphery, but everyone jumps in and we are in full unity, oh man, eh, it's going to be good. God is going to bless us. We're going to have his presence here like you wouldn't believe. Yes, I want that. Don't you? I want that. But you know, Jonathan preached this at the conference. One person can either derail that or really bring us into it. There's many biblical examples where one person not being in unity, that means you're not in unity. Just make sure that you give your heart. If there's anything that's, that has you in one, one foot here, one foot in the world, one foot here, one foot in another church, which isn't bad. All other churches are not bad. But you need to decide where you give yourself and give yourself fully. When we do that, we give ourselves, we will see the commanded blessing of God. And listen to this. Then they prayed and they, um, they wanted to assign a leader. And Acts 1 verse 24, it's still the same gathering. They, the church came together. And then they prayed and said, You, Lord, who knows the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen. So they put two leaders before the Lord and said, which one of these two do you choose? Because you are the only one that knows the hearts of these people. Who has a desire for leadership in the church? Just raise your hand. Uh, I'd, I'd like, Nathan, you have to raise your hand. <laughs> yeah. Listen, that is not a bad thing, but it can be a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. Actually, we need more leaders. And I want to say, if you read through the book of Acts, look at how much emphasis there, there is 
on the, the need for people to stand up as leaders for the church and the kingdom to move forward. We all should be those that say, I want to be a front runner for Jesus. I want to be a front runner. It really is important. But you know what? There is this thing that can creep into your heart to feel like I'm giving myself. Why are the leaders not seeing me? And actually, you, you have to make peace in your heart that, yeah, where leader was assigned when the church gathered, it was because of the will of God. God appoints, not men. God appoints. I'll tell you a quick story. Um, at, the, at the 412 conference, um, Andrew pulled a group of people together, and he, uh, I was included in that group. And it's all these old apostles. And they, I am. <laughs> and, and, uh, and he said, prepare, prepare a message, whatever you're carrying on your heart for the conference. Prepare that and be ready to share. And just send me whatever you have. And so I sent him two messages, and I'm quite excited because it's a big deal. The conference is almost 4,000 people. It's like it's an incredible opportunity. And I get excited about it, but I also know, listen, I need to hold this with an open hand because I know that it's, because I understand what this Bible is saying, God looks into my heart. If God gives me any position, it needs to be God. It can't, cannot be me grasping for it because that is trouble. I want God to give it to me. And so Carla told me before the conference, she, she said, I don't know if I should have prayed this, but I asked God that if, if you're not ready to share that you wouldn't. And I said, no, but that's a good prayer. <laughs> I want that prayer. Anyway, the conference comes, and one of my friends, he's, he's younger than I am, um, he's, he's in the same thing. And then they send out the schedule for those who are going to preach. And my name's not on it, and his name is on it. And have any of you ever felt that haha thing rising up in your heart? Yeah, you're laughing, so it must be true, eh? <laughs> You felt this thing where you're like, I don't like that so much. I don't know. Like, I, I want to be there. I want to be in that position. But, you know, because I fought that thing many times in my life, and I'm not trying to boast, but I've had to kill that thing many times in my life, this thing of competition, of wanting to strive for position, wanting to do things in your own strength. I knew. I went to my, to my quiet place, prayed to the Lord. I said, Lord, you are the one that chooses. If you don't want me to preach, then I won't. It's not about me. Even the fact that I'm feeling like this shows me that there's gunk in my heart. Please, Lord, remove it from me. And I laid it down, and I got on my phone, and I sent that friend of mine a message. I said, listen, I'm praying for you, and I'm really excited about you preaching at the conference. And I meant it because I'd wrestled, I'd fought with my own heart. And then before he got up, I went to him, and I prayed for him, and I celebrated him because I'd won that thing in my heart because I know it's God that appoints. Come on, we need leaders in the house of God, but we don't need ambitious leaders. We need leaders who would lay down their lives, who would say it's for the king and for his kingdom. It's he that appoints because he knows my heart. See, if you look at leaders, if you look at the leaders in this place to say, they will be my shot at glory. They will be the ones that will make me a leader. You are going to be sorely disappointed and you are going to try and do things on the outward to seem like the new leader. But God still sees the inside. It's in the quiet place. You know, before David was the leader that he was, in the private, he fought with the bear and he fought with the lion. Are you fighting with the bear and fighting with the lion in your quiet place if you'd ever desire for leadership? Third gathering, I'm taking too long. <laughs> Acts 2, verse 1 to 41. The church gathers because it's the Pentecost feast. And this is the one that we know because it's where the Holy Spirit gets poured out. And by the way, go read the book of Acts. It really is an amazing book. So, um, the story quickly in a nutshell is Jesus said to them, wait in an upper room, uh, wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit to come, to, to come. They wait in a room, it's about 120 people, and we always say, we think, man, God, God needs multitudes. 
God started the church that influenced all of our lives with 120 people who were fully devoted to him. He only needs a few, and he'd rather take a few who have fully given themselves to him. So these people are waiting, they're praying, they're waiting in this upper room, and as they're waiting, on the day of Pentecost, this feast that the Jews celebrated, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and it was like tongues of fire. They started speaking in tongues, and as they did that, Jews started coming around and saying, what the heck is going on here? These people are carrying on like they are drunk. And Peter stands up, and he emerges as a leader in the early church, and he starts preaching to these Jews, and he preaches about how they actually were the ones that crucified this Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 41, I'm just going through this quickly. Uh, Acts 2 verse 41, it says, So those who received Peter's word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now, here's what I want to emphasize. The church was built by those who received the word of God. It was not built by attendance. It was built by those who received the word of God that were, bat- that were cut to the heart and who acted on what was done in their heart. That was the church. Now, you know, we can so easily fall into the temptation when people ask you, how big is your church? I can tell you how many people attend on a Sunday. I can maybe tell you how many people attend on a Wednesday, but I can't tell you how many people are really part of the church. Because it's only those who are cut to the heart, who have really given their lives to Jesus, that are fully part of the church of Jesus Christ and act on it. They were baptized. Man, I really think you should be baptized. I emphasize it so much. We baptized over 60 people this year. It's beautiful. It's so wonderful. (laughs) Yeah, you can give God a round of applause. (laughs) But it is that. You know, um, I think it's one of the Wesley brothers, John Wesley, that asked him after a crusade, hundreds or thousands of people put their hands up in the air, and uh, they asked him how many people got saved, and he said, I'll tell you in a year's time. That's how you know. Who's part of this church? I don't know. I'll tell you in a year's time. (laughs) I'll tell you as we see people walking with the Lord, giving themselves, walking through the trials and tribulations. That's how we see acting, being obedient to God, being saved, being baptized. Those are the people who are part of the church of God. Number four, 3,000 people get saved here. So 3,000 are fully devoted, and there were more, right? It's interesting. They didn't, I'll get to how they gathered a little bit later, but there were more people than 3,000 there, but 3,000 gave their lives to the Lord. It's interesting. Not everyone responds, but we'd love everyone to respond. Then as soon as that happens, the 3,000 start gathering as a church. We see another gathering. That's the fourth one. And uh, I'm just going to read this because this is the way that they gathered. And um, this is one we, we, we read so often. And it's convicting just by reading it. And this 3,000 devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and all, had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to all as any had need. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's the type of church I want to be part of. Church where every person gives themselves, devotes themselves where there's no needy amongst them because they care for one another. And those people just got saved, and that's the way that they live. This doesn't take long. It just takes full devotion to the Lord. 
So one thing I want to emphasize here, and I feel this is for us as, as Stellenbosch PM, you know, these people were not from Jerusalem. Many of them came from the surrounding areas. But as there was a move of God, they decided to sell everything they had, give everything to stay where there was a move of God. And I actually want you to consider this. If this is your home, I know some of you have obligations. You have to go somewhere else after your studies. I'm not trying to convince you to stay, maybe a little bit. But because I'll, I'll balance this out later where there's another scripture where the opposite of this happens. But, but truly, this is not manipulation. What happened here is they said, because God has added me here, that is where I will stay. I just want to ask you, before you leave here, will you pray? Will you pray? Will you ask God, God, have you added me here or do you want to add me somewhere else? Because it could be that God wants to add you somewhere else and you'll have an impact wherever he sends you. But it could be because but you just, you're just following your own way and you haven't asked the Lord. Will you commit to that? That's a no. All right. <laughs> no, I hear you. But will you commit to that? If God has added you, would you be willing to make a sacrifice to stay if God wants you to stay? Because God is building something beautiful here. We are in a, a move of God actually in this church. I believe it. Really believe it. Number five. I need to go quicker. Um, in Acts 6 verse 1 to 7. <laughs> this is where the church gathers. So what happens was 3,000 get saved. A couple of other thousands get saved. And so the church is growing. It's a church of thousands of people. We can look at how they gathered now. But it's, it's a massive church in Jerusalem that gets together. And then in the church... A dispute arises. That's normal, even in the early church. There was a dispute between the Hebrew-speaking Jews and the Greek-speaking Jews about the distribution of food and how to care for the widows in the church. And so they, they were sort of on the verge of a church split. This was a really difficult thing. And so what they do is they all gather together. The full church gathers and they say, can we appoint deacons? Can we put leaders in place to make sure that this problem goes away and the elders can devote themselves to what they need to devote themselves to. And uh, so this is, where, um, this is where the first deacons were appointed. And so they come together, they elect seven deacons who are the servants. And we, where are the deacons in the church? If you can quickly raise your hand. Where are you? Amen. All right. <laughs> We've got a bunch of deacons here, but these people were, were put in place. Leaders were put in place. And then in Acts um, 6 verse 7, we read the following. Because there was like a halt. There was a difficult time in the church. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. For the first time, they don't use how many people got saved. They just said it multiplied. When the right leaders were put in place, the church multiplied. And a great many priests became obedient to the faith. You know, I just want to speak to you and say we honestly do need leaders in this church. And we, we're not the type of church that's just going to appoint leaders because of need. It needs to be people that have given their lives and that God raises up. But we need leaders. We've got, um, we've got 20, new, 20 communities at the moment, groups that meet midweek. But we've got lots of people, I believe, that are not in communities. And those who were at the gathering last night, Andrew put it quite funnily. He said, if you're not part of our home group, are you even serving Jesus properly? And there was context to it, but he was just saying, man, we need to be in a place where we can give ourselves as well, where we can act out our gifts, where it's not only about receiving, but it's about giving, and we need to be in smaller groups to do that. Um, but we, we, need, we need many more. And so early next year, we're looking at starting about eight or nine new communities. But we need more, but we need more leaders to stand up, and God needs to do that in people's hearts. 
I want to say, guys, man, look, we've got these amazing girls in the church that are running for Jesus. I want to just stop guys and say, come on, man. (laughs) We need guys who are willing to lay down their lives and say everything for Jesus. Hey, and I'm speaking as one who's gone through the process. We need guys who will stop looking at porn and be willing to, to get through those things so that they can be used in the house of God. Okay. Awkward. All right. <laughs> Number six. <laughs> Acts, one, uh, eight, Acts 8 verse 1 to 13. So this is an interesting one. So the church keeps growing and they gather. They come together on Sundays as well. We learn but they have these bigger gatherings. And then a guy called Paul, Saul, who wrote most of the New Testament, he comes, and along with other people, they start persecuting the people of God and start killing Christians, putting them in jail. And so this gathering is interesting because what happens is the people start scattering as there's persecution. And it's just really interesting as you read this. It says, as they scatter, they meet in different places. The value of church, the value of being together is in them so much that they're willing to start new churches wherever they go, actually. And that's a beautiful thing to see. Um, because, you know, if, if we have the value of gathering and we know how important it is for us to be with the people of God, then we will make a plan no matter what. We'll start something if we have to. So, Yolisha's here. <laughs> and she's moving to Bredaastorp. <laughs> nee, that's what I heard. <laughs> And, and Carla and I spoke about that because, you know, Bredastorp, if she goes there and the value is in her and she's like, I love Jesus and there needs to be a healthy church in Bredastorp, if there's not something, why not start it? That's what they did. It was average Joes that said as persecution, as there was pressure, wherever they went, they preached the gospel and where people came together in community, they planted healthy churches and the apostles went around. We need, I'm not saying you should do it. I'm just saying if you can't find a healthy church, then do it. (laughs) Plant a church. (laughs) We'll come support you. If you get 20 people, we'll come support you. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Will we do it? (laughs) If you get 20 people that you can gather on a Sunday morning, we'll we'll come support you. Honestly, we'll really do it. We'll come support you because we, we need that zeal in people to say, we will be a going people. And where we go, I'm not going to isolate. When there's pressure, I will still keep gathering. Because you know what? There's always going to be pressure in life. And I want to say, again, preaching to the choir, but we've got a lot of students going through exams at the moment. That's a little bit of pressure. For some, it's a little bit of big pressure, because if you fail, you... It can be big pressure, but I want to say these things are like the training grounds for us. To say, if I can do it now and still be devoted to the fellowship of the saints... Even when it's difficult, then I'll make it work when it's more difficult out there. We cannot let things stand in the way. One day you're going to have children. That's going to take some of you out of church completely. Don't let it happen. Be devoted now. Face the, 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 um, the trials now. Face the difficulties now. Come through it now. You have an exam tomorrow? Study hard. Come to church. Devote yourself. Because as you learn that, then the bigger things will not keep you from being devoted to the people of God. Um, I remember um, after I went through a church discipline case, which was now two years ago, and I remember that was a really difficult time for me. And so I lead, lead this church, but I had to step off and someone else came to lead the church in my place. And I remember coming to church, I'm not a leader, you're feeling a bit ashamed, you're feeling like, oh, God is working on me, I feel full brewers. And I just knew that I had to keep devoting myself to the people of God. 
and we, we had one worship session in Max studio, and he said, I want people to come stand on the stage and worship God. Everything in me wanted to go sit in that baby's room and act like a baby. <laughs> That's all I wanted to do in that moment, but I knew I need to be devoted to the things of God. And I came to stand on stage, and I basically just, just cried. <laughs> it's all I did, but I was so overwhelmed by the love of God as I knew I was giving myself, not because I'm a leader, but because I'm just a person in the church. Come on, we need to be those people that keep giving ourselves. Um, the seventh time the church gathers, the last few are really quick, so don't worry. <laughs> they gathered in Mary's house to pray and to have fellowship. That's in Acts 12, verse 12 to 17. Acts 12, verse 12, let me read it to you. Um, just interesting about this is they were gathered in Mary's house, and Peter was taken out of jail, and uh, God led him out of jail, and he basically went to this house as the church was gathering, and he knocked on the door, and a little girl came, and she answered the door, and she said, oh, it's Peter, and she ran inside and said, hey, guys, Peter's out of jail, and they were like, no, man, it's just his angel, let's go on. You know what that let me th lets me think? I think they saw angels now and then because they weren't too surprised. There was something supernatural in the church coming together. And I, I think we need more of the supernatural when we come together. We need to see those things, not for sensation, just because, man, if we give ourselves to God, I think the supernatural happens, healings happen, and we see angels. I don't know. We just want to see more of those things. Acts 12 verse 12. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary. It's is Peter now the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. I want to just emphasize something here. It says many were gathered in their home. My house, our house, we've, we've, put in, we've had about 30 people in there, but then you sit on the floor, it's difficult. And there's a big debate about how big the church was when they gathered. Um, because I think they gathered in multiple groups, multiple sizes. But here's an interesting thing. I'm not going to give you all the references, but if we read through the Bible, we see that the church gathered at the temple, meaning that was big groups that gathered there. Andrew spoke about the church gathering in synagogues. That was about between 100 and 300, 350 people that would gather in synagogues. They met in homes, so I think they gathered in small groups as well, very small groups. They met in schools. We read that in Acts 19 verse 9. The church would just gather wherever they could. They met in the upper room. It's a room, but 120 people fit in there. We read that wealthy families had large rooms where they could entertain people up to 150. So when you read about the church that meets in someone's home, it could have been 150 people that met there. They met in caves when they were persecuted. Um, they met at the temple and they met at Solomon's portico or Solomon's porch, which was a large thing like the gathering that we had. But the point is the church, man, you could strike them. You could take away their building. They would just keep meeting. And that's also the type of church that I'd love to be part of. Just say, listen, this thing, it's just a shell. It means nothing to God. God doesn't really care about this building. The question is, if this building had to be scrapped and we next Sunday don't have a venue, what will remain of the church? What will remain of us? Will we make a plan? Will we give ourselves to find one another in each other's homes, in a park, next to the river, as long as we can be together? That is the devotion that God is looking for, actually. Uh, the eighth time. They gathered, gathered at the church in Antioch, and that's Acts 13, verse 1 to 3. Let me just look. I think I'm going to end with this one. Is that okay? <laughs> All right. I'm going to end with this one. I'll quickly read the rest just so that you have it if you want to go through it on your own. But I'm going to end with this one. I spoke about this to our leaders as well. Acts 13, verse 1 to 3. 
want to quickly tell you the story of the church in Antioch, and then we'll, then we'll land it. Um, so the church gathered in Jerusalem mainly. Persecution came. People started going to different areas, and they started reaching out to different areas, which was, which was amazing to see. And then there was this town called Antioch. And in Antioch, just normal saints went there, and they started preaching the gospel. And something started happening. Multitudes of people started getting saved. And we saw, you just, you saw more and more and more people getting saved. It was a beautiful sight. And then the church in Jerusalem hears about this. It's almost like, like this example, maybe. We'll see. But the church hears about it. And the church says, cool, they're doing it. The, the people are not waiting for the leaders to say, please go plant a church there. They just do it because it's in their nature. They didn't do a church planters course. They just preached the gospel. Told people about Jesus and came together. That's all they did. And so the church hears about that they send Barnabas. Barnabas goes over, and the Bible says, Barnabas saw the grace of God at work. Barnabas was like, God is doing something here. God's doing something here, just among the people. It wasn't a leader, it's just the people. God is doing something here. Goes back to the church in Jerusalem, and he gets them. He says, listen, we need some reinforcements there. I think I should go. I'm going to start going, go and lead that church. Don't you want to send Paul with me? I mean, if I had to pick, I, I would pick Paul as well. <laughs> don't you want to send Paul with me? They go, we, we don't know this, but Paul for I think 13 years or nine years, I can't remember exactly, goes and he serves under another man. We always think Paul was only the one that served as a leader of leaders. For many years, he served under someone else, which is a beautiful lesson in itself, because we're always so hasty to just be the top leader, but we need to come under other leaders as well. So Paul goes and, uh, and they go and they lead this church in Antioch, and as they lead it, it becomes one of the most influential churches in the New Testament. Now, here's the interesting thing about that church. It was started by average Joes, just living out what God has put in their hearts. And I spoke to the leaders the other day, and I said to them, you need to stop waiting for the leaders to tell you what to do. You need to go. What is on your heart? Which people are on your heart? Start reaching out to them. Don't wait for the church to initiate. You initiate. And when there's the grace of God, the church sends reinforcements. That's the way that it's supposed to happen. I told them there's a couple of places. I, you know, I, um, when I drive through this town, there's a place called Buolan College. No Buolan College. I don't think we've got a single person in this church from Buolan College. I don't think anyone in Stellenbosch reaches out to the people who live in Buolan College. I've never seen it. I've never heard it. I've never seen churches going in there. They've got a residence there at the back. I don't know if anyone reaches out to them. But I want to say, stop waiting for us. If that's in your heart, if you see those people, why are we not going in there preaching the gospel to them? Starting a little group, seeing what God, God does there. You know, these schools, I love it. Nikwal, I'll just mention an example. He made, a, he made an appointment with the rector of Polaroos Gymnasium. It's quite bold of him. And he said, listen, I'm a Christian. Can I come and reach out to your people in res? <laughs> and the headmaster said, yes, you can do it. How beautiful. That's like following what's in your heart, giving yourself, not waiting for people. Just saying, God, what have you laid on my heart? Kai Mandi. We've got a Puma. There we go. Got Puma fun. Am I saying it right? Puma. There we go. Puma from Kai Mandi. One day we need to plant a church in Kai Mandi. I'd love seeing it. But you know, it's, it, it doesn't work like we pray about it. Oh, okay, we've got vision for Kai Mandi. In two years' time, we're going to plant a church there. It's not how it works. We see people from, coming from Kaimandi. They catch the vision of God. You guys, Puma, you must start reaching out to the people in Kaimandi, giving them the love of Jesus. Start gathering the people there. If the grace of God is there, we send reinforcements. 
we see something beautiful happening in Kaimandi. Those things should excite us. But it happens when we stop coming just to be fed as Christians, but start saying, what can I do in the kingdom of God? How can I reach out? Wherever I go, wherever I put my foot down, I am an ambassador of Jesus Christ. Do you believe it? In your res, at your workplace, are you an ambassador of Jesus Christ? Because if we do it, we're going to see the kingdom of God advancing. It's not about Josh Chen. It's not about that. It's about the kingdom of God advancing.